0: Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, in Luke 15 we read about the prodigal son. We read about one that had departed from his father's house and went off to riotous living. And when he did finally return, and he did so because of the work of the Holy Spirit, it wasn't of his own accord. Yes, he came back, but he came back as a result of the Spirit working within him, convicting him of his sin, and he returned to his father's house. And in doing so, what we see that stands out is the love that the father had for his son who had departed. He had never stopped thinking about that son. What we find is the father running to meet his son, to embrace him, to bring him back, and then rejoicing and killing the fatted calf. And what we find is the older brother, he is one that really looks like Jonah, doesn't he? He's one who's angry. He's angry because the father has received this son of his that he said, who squandered his wealth with riotous living. The elder brother had no room for repentance. Now I'm going to say this. Um, There's some of you in here with the same attitude. You have no room in your heart for forgiveness, you have no room when somebody repents turns from their sin and looks unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe somebody that you don't like in the community. Maybe somebody that you work with. Maybe a relative. And it bothers you with the fact that they want to worship the Lord and they come and they gather together as the people of God and worship Him. And you have no room for forgiveness. Who do you think has the greater sin here? The prodigal son or the elder brother? Because we often are like the elder brother. And we need to repent of that. We need to ask God to forgive us for that. We need to acknowledge that fact. Rather than rejoicing, as the angels do in heaven, when one sinner repents, we become angry. We become obstinate. We begin cynical. We say things like, well, they probably aren't born of the Spirit of God. We'll see. We'll see if it keeps. We'll see if they continue to come. That's the attitude. So we find with the elder brother, we find it with Jonah. Now, Jonah's a believer. He's a prophet of the Lord. Can believers act that way? Look around, look at yourselves. That's how we act, isn't it? Now, I know there are some in here that want to act like they don't act that way. That think that they don't act that way but the fact of the matter is we do. We sin. We sin in our thoughts, we sin in our words, we sin in our actions. We're self-righteous, we're arrogant, we look down our noses at other people, we think we're better than others, and don't tell me it ain't so because it is so. We behave that way. We see people that are in a lower condition maybe people that are suffering or struggling or down and out, and we tend to think that we're not there because we do this, that, or the other thing. That ain't the case at all. So before we start really lowering the guns at Jonah and thinking, what a rotter, what a wretch that he was, let's start looking at our own hearts. Let's start thinking about our own life of prayer, our own love towards the brethren. Our own desire to minister and to care for others. Our own desire to fellowship with other saints. To send an encouraging word to other members of the body of Christ. Let's start there instead of looking at everybody else. Because that's what we do. We're outward looking. Not me. I don't do that. I never. Oh yeah, we do. We do all the time. We're deflectors. We like to deflect. We like people to look at other people so they're not looking at us. That's the way it is with sinful people. When we acknowledge that, well then we'll have significant healing. It's pretty difficult to bring healing to those that don't think they need a physician. So we need to confess these things. We're more like Jonah than unlike Jonah. Do you know that the seed known to all mankind resides in each of our hearts? It's there, beloved. Don't ever say you will never do something. You don't know what you would do given the situation you may be in. Jonah goes through all kinds of emotions. Mostly, it's anger. There's only one point in this later portion of the text where he's grateful. And he's grateful because a vine grows up and gives him some shade. The most of the dialogue, what's going on in Jonah's life, he's angry. And who is he angry with? Now, we're similar to Jonah in this. We won't say that we're angry with God, but that's who we're angry with. We want to point at all these other things. We're angry with the Lord. About what God has done. He has the power, He has the ability, He is willing to do all of His good pleasure, and sometimes that means suffering and sorrow in our lives, and we don't like it. And what do we do? We complain. We complain about the doctor hasn't given us this, we complain about the relatives that don't do this, and nobody comes to see me, and blah, 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 and you know what? I'm just going to go eat worms. That's how we behave. And ultimately, you're angry with God. We need to confess that because it's clear in the life of believers that we struggle with these things. You remember James and John? Jesus dubbed them the sons of thunder, the Boangerous. You remember when they were going to go through Samaria and Samarians did not receive him? And so James and John said... Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? Is that our attitude oftentimes against sinners in this world? Let us call down fire God can consume them? What is your thought about the, the homosexual community? Do you ever talk to a homosexual? Would you engage... With a homosexual? Would you speak the truth to them? Are you too busy about, oh, I can't get that stuff on me? There's something wrong. You see, we have this built-in Pharisaism that wants to separate everybody that is not like us. And we call them monsters. And we put them on their little reservation in their own little communities. And beloved, they are more like us than unlike us. They are those created as God's image bearers. Fallen, yes, shattered, broken, but they're not beasts. Jesus said to James and John, you don't know what spirit you're of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy man's lives, but to save men's lives. So, We have to remember that as we evangelize, as we are to go out into this world. Jonah was really struggling. Notice Jonah was displeased and angry in verse 1. And as we come to the text, the Lord Jonah goes out of the city, rightly so. He is wondering, is God going to bring destruction upon them? So let me get myself up out of the city because if this destruction comes, I don't want to be up in that city. So you can see why he did what he did. But when he did that, he was out there in the desert with the Moroccan wind. It was dry, it was windy, it was hot, and there he sat. And if he had a head like mine, the sun's beating on it, that's not a good situation. So what does he need? He needs some shade. He can't find any shade. Not out in the desert. So what does the Lord do? The Lord provides for him. The Lord provides a vine that grows up. And so the Lord prepared this plant. Notice the sovereignty of God over the inanimate things of life. A plant. Who would have thought that a plant, what God would use to bring relief to his prophet? God is the one who made the plant grow. Now, oftentimes when we see plants, corn, just think about the corn that's planted. It doesn't sprout up to be a stalk overnight, does it? But in the supernatural work of God, this is exactly what he does. He causes the plant to grow up and then to provide shade for the prophet. And it came up over Jonah that it might be a shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. Notice, he's in misery. Misery. Misery is an emotional effect. Misery causes us to be angry. Misery causes us to be depressed. To become discouraged. That happens in the life. And then, you know what kind of decisions we make when we're emotional? Not biblical decisions. Not good decisions when we become emotional. This is Jonah. He's a hot mess right here. Physically and spiritually. But he is grateful. He is very grateful. Who's he grateful to? He's grateful to God. But notice he doesn't mention that. He doesn't say, "Thank you, Lord, for the vine that you caused to grow up." Because everything in his experience, he knows that it doesn't grow up overnight. It doesn't grow up in a moment and cover over his head. It had to be enough shade to cover the man. This is a wonder, it's a phenomenon. And to me, it's like Balaam's donkey. And Balaam has a conversation with his donkey. And Balaam doesn't stop and say, my donkey is speaking to me in a man's voice. Doesn't do that at all. He begins dialoguing with him. Why? He's angry. He's livid. He's emotional. And that, because of that, he's not rational, is he? You don't see reason and rationality in Balaam's life as he's angry with his donkey. So it is with us. You know, and I know, That we make poor decisions when we're emotional. That's why we speak of things of this nature. The voice of reason. That's why there is somebody that is objective in these things. That really doesn't have any skin in the game. They come alongside and they, wait a minute. Hold on a minute. Let's think about this for a moment. Jonah doesn't have that. But because of his angry, he, because of this emotion going through him, he, he makes some accusations, he does some things that are uh, unpleasing to God, he's angry with the Lord, and so he, he doesn't say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you for providing for my misery. He's grateful for the plant. That's generic. Are, are you grateful to the Lord? You know, oftentimes we gather together with family and friends, and we, we talk about, we're grateful Thanksgiving, we're grateful for this, for, Are you grateful to the Lord? Because there's a difference, beloved. The world says that. I'm grateful. Grateful to who? I'm thankful. Thankful to who? Well, you know, to karma. To my lucky stars. The the, the stars aligned and they fell in my favor. That's the world in which we live. So you press it. Who are you thankful to? For providing you with all the good things that you partake of. We say things like this. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. You can't. They are more than you can number. God has blessed us with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. And so we're deliberate. We're distinct. We thank the Lord. The psalmist is clear with that, isn't it? Bringing thanks to the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His wondrous works and His goodness to the children of men. Giving thanks deliberately to Him. That's a lesson learned. It's a lesson for us to learn. Why is it that when you're around an unbelieving crowd... That you're hesitant about saying that you're thankful to God. Do you have fear? Are you, are you too concerned about your reputation? Do you fear the faces of men? Do you fear ridicule? We need to be deliberate as the people of God. But as the morning dawned, verse 7, the next day, God prepared a worm. Notice this, plant and worm, all in a day. The Lord prepares this particular worm, just like He had prepared the fish to swallow Jonah. Now the Lord prepares the worm to devour the plant, and then Jonah's back in the misery again. God prepared. God has power over the inanimate and animate objects, the rational and non rational creatures of this world. Everything is at the disposal of the Lord. Notice the worm to the great fish. I was tempted to say whale. It sounded good, right? The worm to the whale. But it's the great fish. It doesn't say in the text whether it was a whale, probably a whale. Just simply says, a great fish that God prepared. From the great fish, the greatest of the sea life, bigger than what we've experienced here in the land, God prepared that. How long does it take for, uh, we'll just talk about the example of a whale, a baby whale, to grow to full adulthood? It's not overnight. And yet, God prepares. This fish to swallow up Jonah in the duration of what's going on in Jonah's life so it is with the worm the small things that you don't even take notice of the worm that gets into the plant that chews away at the roots and then it withers and it dies and many times those worms are imperceptible aren't they? you don't even see them and yet God is the one who created God is the one who sustains God is the one who directs We live in a mechanistic world, in the world in which we live. The world thinks that things happen by chance and by luck and by simple motions or out of the blue or it just so happened and none of that is happening. We have a tendency to think that rain falls just by chance. We got it and they didn't. Beloved, the Lord sent it. We don't live in a world that is just spun out of control and the Lord wound it up like a little top and then let it go and it's just spitting out and doing what? God is governing this world. He is governing all things in this world, from the least to the greatest. That's awesome. And He's doing it simultaneously, without any sweat, without any effort. God rules, this is the God that we worship. He has control over the greatest and over the least of this world. Otherwise, how would we believe that all things work together for good to those who love God? How would we believe that if we didn't have confidence that God is ruling over all things in this world? So we learn about the providence of God. We learn about the the promises of God, the forgiveness of God. Jonah is showing us all of these things here. The worm killed the plant, damaged it, it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared. Notice, notice the words, right? God prepared a worm. God prepared a plant. God prepared here with the sun. The sun arose. He prepared a vehement east wind. The wind blows in the direction that God ordains it to blow. Nothing by chance. Don't we say this? Don't our confessions declare this? You see, the confessions of the church are a a useful tool in the life of the church. I've said this again and again, and some of you still don't do it. You need to take advantage of the tools in the church. When it talks about the sovereignty of God, it is expounding upon the truth of God's word. It is not just simply spitting out Scripture. It is giving the sense and the meaning of the Word. You memorizing God's Word is futile if you don't know what it means by what it says. It has meaning. Jesus said to the lawyer, what is your reading of the law? How do you understand it? You must understand the Word of God. If you're quoting scripture out of context, you do not have the truth, beloved. The truth is the scripture, the meaning of God's word. So that's why the diligent study of God's word, we must then dig into the word of God. Personally, we must do that so that we can know the truth. You're set free by knowing the truth. God is the one who prepares the things that happen in this world. That is a wonder and that is a blessing. That is a comfort. Are you comforted by that? Are you comforted by the fact to know that you are immortal until God is finished with you on this earth? You're not killed before your time. You're not killed by chance. We talk about a car accident. There, there are no accidents in the universe of God what we mean what we should mean by this is that we didn't intend for it to happen yes but god did and it could not happen apart from the sovereign will of god and this right there god prepared god prepared the wind and the wind blew and what happened with this wind it beat upon jonah's head this sun the heat and all of a sudden he's getting miserable again so that he grew faint and that's 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 a hard one. You know, that's like heat stroke. Been out, you get sapped. Your body loses fluid. You become dehydrated. If you've been to the point where you haven't had enough water, you'll know because you get a massive headache. You have to drink water. And then, as the days go by, that you don't drink water and replace the fluid within your body, you become delirious. You become hallucinating. You're hallucinating. You're seeing things and they're not really there. It's because you are lacking moisture. This is going on in Jonah's life. He grew faint. And he wished death for himself. Have you you ever been there? What do you think about when you see the prophet going through what he's going through? He obviously has pain, he's obviously discouraged. Obviously, he thinks that the Lord is not directly involved in his life regarding his ministry to the Ninevites. in his leaving, his sitting, his waiting, he's apprehensive. So here he is, a downcast, discouraged man. He has physical pain and he has spiritual pain. Now, before I say this, let me address you who say, I could never understand somebody that would say that they would love to die. you never been there. If you can't understand it, it's because you have never experienced it. There are people that go through difficulties in life and their desire, their motivation... To live has been sapped. And they would rather die than go through these things any longer. Now, for us as believers, what is our responsibility towards them? To hammer them? To talk about them? To say things like, I can't believe. Can you believe that individual? Self righteous. People talk that way. They're self-righteous. You have no idea what people will do in situations and circumstances of life. You have no idea. I always uh, say this with my wife. Would you ever eat such and such? As some gross bug or a snake or something. And she will say things like, I would never. I said, don't ever say that. Because you know what? You haven't been hungry. Do you know how wide the menu becomes when you're hungry? We would do things that we would never, and all things being equal, which they're not in this world, we would do things that we never would expect that we would do. We never thought in a million years that we would do that. You've got Jonah wanting to die. Elijah wanted to die. He prayed that the Lord would take his life. I've been there. I've been there. I, I, you know, three months of depression, about six weeks in it, I prayed that God would kill me. I, I was fed. I was done. I did not want to live any longer. I, I can relate to Jonah. I can relate to this circumstance, this situation. And maybe you can't. And that's okay. That's okay if you can't. That's okay if you haven't gone through these dark nights of the soul. Depression, discouragement. Things happen and you respond. We're different people. We respond in different ways. That's okay that you haven't experienced that. But don't belittle those that are going through the difficulties. Because that's what you find when you go through it. You can't trust people. Because instead of help, what you get is people in self-righteous attitude bearing down and hammering upon you. That's not what somebody that's going through that needs. They need compassion. They need love. They need encouragement. They need somebody to walk alongside of them during those difficult times. Jonah said, it's better for me to die than to live. He is in desperate straits. He is seeing everything as futile. And yet then God gives him the object lesson. God said to Jonah, is it right? Notice how often in scripture God asks questions. Why does he ask questions? Adam, where are you? Jesus said, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? There's questions. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? There's questions given. What's that for? What's the purpose of that? It's a teaching lesson. Now, there may be more than this in Scripture. I don't know. I, I have not found them, but I've categorized questions in three categories. There is the question that true disciples ask. Somebody genuinely wants to know the answer to something, they ask a question. The disciples did that. There is a second type of question that we find in Scripture, and that is the question of those that are trying to trick you, trap you. All that they want to do is bring you down. Who did that? The Pharisees, the scribes, the Herodians... The Levites, they did that towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third category of questions, as I said, there may be more, but I see at least these three in Scripture. Is the teacher asking questions to elicit a response from the students? Jesus does this with his disciples. The catechism does this with the people of God, asking questions to elicit A response. He knows the answer. He's calling upon the individual then to proclaim that answer. So God says to Jonah, "Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? What's the point? The plant is nothing, really. It's it's nothing." This vegetation that God causes to spring up in a moment, and God takes it in a moment. And God has the right. Why is that? Because He is the sovereign over this universe. He owns all things. We simply are those that are cultivating already what God has put out into this world. We are discovering and we are using the resources that God has implanted into this universe. We're not truly creating things. We talk about a creative spirit. You are using matter that God has made. And you are forming things of that. So the plant is small. It's really an insignificant thing. And it's in comparison to the Ninevites. Notice that Jonah is angry because God took the plant for him, but he would be happy If 120,000 who were lost people were killed. That the wrath of God would come upon them. Is the anger in our heart towards the unbelieving world that deep, beloved? Do you realize, even as we learned in Sunday school this morning, the unbeliever cannot worship the Lord. He doesn't have the capacity to worship the Lord. A cat can't be a dog. A dog can't be a camel. They are according to their nature. The unbeliever's nature is hatred towards God. You cannot cause them, make them, force them, cajole them to be worshipers of God. It cannot happen. It will not happen. Anything apart from faith is sin. God is the one who makes us true worshipers. So what is our attitude towards the unbelieving world? Often it's a cursing the darkness, isn't it? And I get it. I I, I don't like all the, the ugliness that goes on in this world. I get it. But is our calling to Lord call down fire and devour them all? Is that our attitude? Is that the spirit we are of? Or is our spirit evangelistic? Is our spirit a desire to see men saved? Is our desire to pray for those who don't know Christ in salvation? It's a wake-up call for all of us, isn't it? You can criticize me all you want. You find all kinds of reasons to criticize me. I feel sorry for you, if that's your life. There There are so many better things to do than criticize me. Why don't you spend that time and take your little criticisms that it doesn't affect my sleep, just let you know. I sleep fine. Take your little criticisms and put them away and ask God to forgive you of them and spend your time praying for the unregenerate world in which we live. How about that? How about redeeming your time? Because if you're criticizing me, if you're criticizing other members of the body of Christ, if you're coming against the church, which I don't understand, the body attacking the body, it'd be like somebody sitting up here in the front row punching themselves in the face. And you'd look over and say, they're out of their mind. What do you think? What do you call a person who calls themselves a member of the body of Christ that attacks the church? Same thing. You're outside of your mind. You don't know what you're talking about. Spend that time praying for unbelievers, maybe that you work with. Maybe your family members. Maybe some who are members of the church who are not born of the Spirit of God. Why don't you use your time in a useful, God-glorifying manner by praying for others? Instead of cursing all the bad things that happen in the world. Don't you expect that? I'm surprised, beloved, that it doesn't happen more in this world. I'm surprised that we don't hear of more murders. More rapes. More death. More of the abortions. I'm surprised we don't hear of more. I'm surprised it's just flooding our minds constantly. Because we're wicked people outside of the grace of God. If not for the grace of God, there go I. And there go you. You. You didn't make yourself a believer. And when that settles down into your heart, you know what? You can put away your self-righteousness. Because you didn't make yourself a disciple of Christ. He did. Your response then is to have mercy on others. So Jesus said, should you not have had mercy on them also? Who is my neighbor? You know, it's to whom am I a neighbor? That's the compassion. Jonah's angry about the plant, but he can care less about the multitudes that are opposed to God. The Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored. He didn't even make it bring up, He didn't spring it up, He didn't water it, He didn't plant it, He didn't cultivate it, He did nothing. Nor made it grow which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not have pity on Nineveh, this great city? Look at the compassion of God. We are an example of the compassion of God. The only reason, beloved, that you're here this morning, and if you're a true believer, I don't know your heart. You're here this morning as a true believer. You are here because of the compassion of God And God's compassion alone in Jesus Christ. You didn't float in here. It's amazing how we can be just like the Pharisee and the tax collector. That we make ourselves to differ. You didn't make yourself to differ. God called you out of the unbelieving world. And brought you to himself. Why? For the sake of the good shepherd who laid down his life for us miserable wretched people. That we might be the saints of God in Christ Jesus who still sin daily. And yet God is long-suffering and compassionate towards us. And how do we respond to those who have not experienced the grace of God in Christ? Belittle them? Run them down? Hate them? See all manner of evil against them? That is not the Christian attitude. This is what God demonstrates to us here with Jonah. Beloved, we're just like Jonah. The church today is just like Jonah. It's amazing how God bears long with us. We ought to be those, as he said to Jonah, Nineveh, that great city. Notice there are more than 120,000 persons that cannot discern their right hand from their left. And they had much livestock. God caring for the creatures of this world. You know, the Proverbs says that the righteous man has mercy upon his animals. He cares about his animals, but not the unrighteous. He is a merciless taskmaster. God is merciful. God is loving, long-suffering, and kind. And we find the compassion of God here with the prophet Jonah. Beloved, we are called as those who have obtained mercy to be merciful. We are called to be those who have obtained the forgiveness of God to be forgiving. We are those as having peace with God, we are to be peacemakers. We are to be peaceable as much as lies within us with all men. This is the lessons that we learn In the book of Jonah. Would it be. That God would stir our hearts. And root out. Now I'm not asking. If there's self-righteousness there. Oh yeah. In all of our hearts. That God would root that out. And he would pull that from our heart. And cause us. To be merciful. To be compassionate. To be long-suffering. To pray for those that are haters of God, that are lost. You know what a transgender is? It's a person who is lost. You know what homosexual is? It's a person who is lost in their trespasses and sins. They are lost, beloved. We are light in Jesus Christ. So let your light shine before men. They might see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Amen. Shall we pray?